Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. Uh, Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living your faith with passion and conviction. As, as usual, I am joined by my partner, my very good friend, my co-host, and the, the man who took second place in the tryouts for the cucumber on VeggieTales, <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, how you doing, brother? I am, I am well, thank you, Deacon. How are you? I'm doing just great, my friend. You know, I, I of all the, the, the cartoons my kids watched when they were young, VeggieTales is probably my favorite one. It is so you know? funny. I, uh, I find myself occasionally singing the song in the morning, Where Is My Hairbrush? i like the pirates who don't do anything oh my gosh that's one of my favorites you know and it was the really funny subtle bits for adults in there that i just enjoyed the heck out of you know the the uh the episode about joshua and the walls of jericho and how they had the the peas were were little french peas which of course was a callback and a reference to monty python and the holy grail being the french Mm -hmm. taunter i mean those sorts of things just just delightful tidbits and i love it veggie tales is good stuff <laughs> excellent <laughs> and how are things going at the uh, at my alma mater at your alma mater the, here the, 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 the nicola center for ethics and culture yeah so we've had a really great couple months you know uh we obviously we did a big um celebration you know we've talked about before with the um evangelium vitae medal for the um women's uh, care center here in South Bend and actually in 11 states, kind of honoring them for their uh, strong pro-life work with uh, with uh, mothers and families. Uh, we had a great dedication weekend when we had Cardinal Dolan was with us and, and um, all of our friends and benefactors gathered with us and joined as we launched our new, you know, kind of renaming as the DeNicola Center. Um, now we had a Vita Institute this summer, which was an opportunity to gather with pro-life leaders from around the world to really kind of strengthen them in their um, understanding and appreciation of the fundamentals of the issues of life. And so it's just been a great, great couple months, um, you know, day in and day out, really having this wonderful opportunity to proclaim the beauty and truth and goodness of the Catholic faith uh, and the uh, Catholic identity of the university. So it's been a it's been a great place to be. Thanks. Glad to hear that. How about you? Where have you been? Well, you know, a very busy month this month. Um, you know, a lot of travel, and then I I get a little bit of a hiatus in July for most of the month. Uh, but you know, I've been uh, and went to, of course to the Holy Land and <laughs> right. um, and yeah, and then doing retreats uh, at the at the shrine. Uh, there in Hansville, uh, Mother yeah. Angelica Shrine, doing some stuff. They're doing a retreat in uh, Rapid City, Illinois, doing a, a parish mission, a week-long parish mission there. Then doing some events for Legatus, doing a family conference in Ohio, and uh, just you know, just a busy month. And then I get, like I said, most of the month of July is going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, and then a pilgrimage, you know, and, and uh, coming up. Uh, uh, after my, I'm doing a two week speaking tour in Australia, then flying from there straight to Europe for a, what we call visitations of Mary wow. pilgrimage. You know, I have a strong devotion to the blessed mother. Of and, course. and so to honor her, 
you know, I want to do this uh, uh, pilgrimage. I'm partnership, partnership with my friends from Perusia in, uh, in Australia. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal Catholic organization. And uh, so we're going to be doing uh, f- uh, France, Portugal, and Spain. Wow. As part of, so if people want to go, love for people to go with us. You know, there's, there's still uh, some seats left. Love for you to come with us. Just go to my website, deaconherald.com. Just scroll down. You see a huge yellow bar that talks about the pilgrimage. Click on that. You'll see information all about the pilgrimage and a little video as well that I share more information about. So fun, fun. love for people to join us. Any chance you can fit me in your suitcase? <laughs> Everybody always asks that. <laughs> you know, I think once you go through the scanner, there might be a problem. Oh, there, that's true. Know? Well, I have uh, the TSA global entry. Does that make a difference? <laughs> <laughs> Very that's good. Awesome. We're not talking about TSA global entry, but we are talking with uh, someone who is, uh, is renowned uh, for his his writing and his teaching and his uh, retreat and and speaking and and EWTN, kind of my tag team partner, if you will, in this evangelization arena. Uh, he's a Dominican a priest uh, who is uh, currently in residence at the Dominican Priory at Holy Rosary in Portland, Oregon. Uh, again, well-known personality on EWTN. In fact, uh, of all of my series, half of them have been with him. <laughs> well, you know, so. yeah, my and, gosh, he's he's a uh, he's more of your right-hand man than I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you know, I, I, if I had two right hands, you know, <laughs> of course, I'm talking about the one and only Father Brian Malady. And welcome to the show, Father Brian. Great to have you back. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and we need to describe him really as friend of the show, Father Brian Malady. Absolutely. Because we've been blessed to, blessed to have Father Brian with us before. You know, we had him back during Lent. We had a great chat with him. And uh, so we're, we're delighted to have you back, Father Brian. Glad to be back with you. You know, one of the things we want to talk about today is a topic that we've actually not covered on the show before. And I know that the Father Milady is, is taught for many, many years, uh, seminarians at Holy Apostles Seminary there in, in Cromwell, Connecticut. And one of his areas of specialization, of course, he's a, t- a Thomistic theologian and philosopher. And, and he's working on a book right now, Father Milady, is on nature and grace. And we've never talked about that relationship before. So we thought it'd be a great idea to chat about that today with Father Milady. So uh, where, how are you going to get us kicked off, Ken? What's, what's, what's the kind of the base question you want to start off with? Well, I guess the, the base question, Father Brian, is what is grace? Yes. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I give a lot of my parish missions on grace, and I'm constantly astonished by the fact that Catholics don't seem to know much about it. Yeah. And yet it's the center of our religion. Grace is basically the love of God. Uh, God loves everything. Uh, Our love is like God's love, in the sense that they both have to do with approving a good. The difference between our love and God's love, though, is that when we love something, we have to find the good in it already to approve or respond to. But when God loves something, he makes it good. He makes it like him. The most basic result of God's love is the fact of existence. Everything is mm-hmm. loved into existence by God. Mm-hmm. That's why we say things like the Holy Spirit is the primary moving force of creation, not matter and energy. But when it comes to human beings, because we have intelligence and because we have a will, because we're a spirit, 
we also have a special experience of God's love, which is one of the reasons he made the world. God, as you know, made the world that we might, well, at least when I was a little boy, we used to study the Baltimore Catechism. And I think the second question in the Baltimore Catechism was, why did God make me? And the answer was, God made me to show forth his goodness and to make me happy with him in heaven. Because we have intelligence, all the world comes forth from God and seeks to return to God by his love. But human beings return to God in a special way because we are invited to return to him by having a friendship of communion of life with him. And since God is infinite, since God is eternal, there's no way we can do this by our own power. We have to receive a gift from him, which is his love in which he transforms our soul to be like him. And so this is what's known as sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is, as a result of God's love, a plus is added to the very nature of our souls, which allows us while on earth to experience a friendship with God or to know as God knows and to love as God loves. And because we have a communion of hearts with him, to prepare ourselves for that final experience where we'll live with him for all eternity. And the classic text for sanctifying grace is in 2 Peter 1.4, where it's stated by St. Peter that we who have fled a world corrupted by sin will receive great and precious gifts. And then the classic phrase is given, by which we shall become a partaker in divine nature, which means that we're no longer merely human beings. Now, of course, we're not God. We're not changed to be infant and eternal in our existence. As far as our being is concerned, we still remain created. But God, by a quality which he adds to our souls, allows us to share in his infinity and to experience a kind of likeness to him. Just yesterday, the Office of Readings there was a reading from St. Basil the Great in which he talks about the Holy Spirit's presence in us because, of course, this is the big novena, the first big novena between Ascension and Pentecost right. where the apostles prayed for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he ends by saying it makes us be God, Holy Spirit's presence. Yeah, that's, that was I love that reading, by the way, yesterday. Yeah. It and was that, awesome. That's good old Catholic doctrine. Yes. Be God. Now, unfortunately... I used to say that quoting a play like Auntie Maine, Life's a Banquet, and most poor suckers are starving to death. <laughs> well, life's a banquet in our religion where while on earth we can experience a loving friendship with him in our souls, and, and many people never take advantage of that. Yeah. They either treat religion as a culture or something external to them or something like that, but we, we don't exactly allow it to influence how we act and what we do every day. You know, this actually kind of begins to get at something that I'm really particularly interested in, this idea that, um, you know, God wants to give us these gifts, but how do we respond? Or how are we, how should we respond? How can we respond? Well, as Catholics, fortunately, most of us receive grace before we had a response. Uh, most of us receive grace as babies who we were baptized yeah. into Christ, which, of course, Christ is the mediator of grace now. We can't experience the Holy Spirit's presence 
apart from the physical mediatorship of Jesus' human nature now, which is, of course, represented to us in the Church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But once we understand that, once we experience that, then our response is basically to, by our free wills, prepare ourselves. That's all we can do. We can't obviously give us infinite supernatural life. But what we can do is open ourselves and of course, this also is something that happens by grace. It's it's a, called actual grace, which is not sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is actually a change in our souls, okay. by which we become partakers of God's nature. Mm-hmm. Actual grace is an external aid by God, in which He enlightens our minds and strengthens our wills, either if we're an adult to our initial conversion, or if we were baptized as children to live that ongoing conversion. And, you know, the trouble is that a lot of people have a kind of Protestant idea about grace. Lutherans have a confirmation right. This is not a sacrament for them, because they believe that they're not really sure exactly what baptism by water does for you. Uh, They look on it as a sacrament, and they look on it as something to do with holiness and salvation. But for them, you know, it's mostly faith, and so you have to accept your baptism in faith. And so your confirmation is looked upon as acceptance of baptism. Unfortunately, many Catholics have begun to interpret mm. our confirmation as that, which mm-hmm. is all wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when, since we received this gift when we were baptized in the font, our first acceptance of baptism occurs when we make our first act of free will, when we're seven or, or we're precocious, <laughs> even before that, and that's a divine supernatural act. Yeah. And as we grow as children, we should grow in allowing God to influence our life more and more through prayer and through Mass and through the sacraments and things like that. And again, unfortunately, people don't do that. In the spiritual life, basically, if, for example, if you were to read something like the interior castle of St. Teresa, when she talks about growing in grace or growing in prayer, she says very little about prayer even though she's writing a book about prayer. She says, the way you enter the castle is basically, it's easy to say, but I think it's very hard to live, is gospel living. Mm -hmm. And gospel living has two prongs to it. The first is you have to reject your faults, or reject sin, which means, of course, as far as you're able at your age in life, you have to be aware of them. Self-knowledge is extremely important in this. And you also have to have a deciduous desire as far as, again, as you're aware, you know, a seven-year-old obviously wouldn't be expected to have as deep an awareness of this as a person who was an adult, but of the, what the virtues are of the state and life that you're in and to practice those. She says lack of growth in prayer is not a matter of not having found a technique that will help you do it. It's rather a result of worldliness. In other words, of, of, of egotism. And so the, the very key to opening the door, cooperating, is to address whatever we realize. You know, I don't know about you, but I have to say that when I was a little boy, I was a brat, total brat. <laughs> and because I was intelligent, I was an even worse brat. <laughs> but one, all of a sudden, it was very weird. You know, when you reach the age of seven, I remember when we were being prepared for confession and things. When I do a bratty thing, all of a sudden I feel ashamed, Yeah, mm. which hadn't happened before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I began to become aware of what my weaknesses were. 
Now, that doesn't mean I changed them, but at least I had an awareness of them. That's the and start. And I was ashamed of them, and I knew they weren't right, Yeah, you know. And, and then also, when you begin to get that age, too, you begin to try to practice generosity. And hopefully, if you have decent parents and decent educators, they encourage you to, to generous acts. And sometimes they have to do it by punishment mm-hmm. or by, you know, the carrot, like the allowance or something. But they encourage you to do generous acts to get out of your world. Well, it, it, that's it's obviously very simple for a little per, a little boy or girl. But when you reach adulthood, unfortunately, many people have turned off on all that. They don't care about self-awareness. And they blame everybody else for their problems. And when we live in a materialistic culture, they're all they're interested in is success. And uh, you were talking about the abortion debate. You know, I was just reading these articles today about places like Illinois where they say, well, it's just economics. That's all. Yeah. Wow. Because we can't support ourselves. I mean, (laughs) words fail me when it comes to things like this. Yeah. Yeah. We lived for 2,000 years, basically, where most of the population were farmers or worked for other people or even serfs trying to scratch out a living in an inhospitable nature. And, you know, if the harvest failed, everybody starved. And yet that didn't keep people from having children. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's strange, the whole attitude toward this. Anyway. Well, you know, uh, can you, you mentioned it briefly, the process understanding. Now, um, I want to have you help us make a distinction between kind of a classical anthropology uh, of the of the Protestants when it comes to grace and a Catholic understanding. So, for example, Adam and Eve, right? They were created uh, in in a state without any original sin. Was was called preternatural gifts, and those gifts were lost at at the fall, and then original sin came into play. But then, our Protestants would say that we were born into a state of total depravity. They, they were void of any grace whatsoever. And, and grace comes through faith alone, through, the, 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 you know, again, baptism, not sure how helpful that is. If you could just kind of talk a little bit about what was the state that Adam and Eve were created in, and uh, and then what, what happened to that grace after the fall, and then how we inherit that original sin, which is taken care of with the sacrament of baptism, versus the Protestant understanding we're just completely, totally depraved. Right. Well, first of all, if it's true we have an intellect and will, and that's why we have a natural desire to see God. Since we have an intellect, nothing can still the power of our soul to know. Even Aristotle knew this, except the direct knowledge of the de- nature, of the essence, not just the existence of the primary cause of the world, which we know to be God. Now, Aristotle didn't talk about seeing God because he didn't know about grace. But he knew that nothing on this world could satisfy the desire of man to know. And it's interesting that the metaphysics of Aristotle, as you know, the first sentence, is all men by nature desire to know. Well, if that's true, God, who's good, who created the world that people might share in him, not to have us mess up, God, from his goodness and his benevolence, gave us the ability to realize this natural tendency because Adam and Eve were created in the state of grace. And not only that, but he created them in a state of what's called innocence. Other people call it integrity. Other people call it the original justice. 
because he created man, Adam and Eve, with all the powers which would allow them to live this grace to the full. So in the body, for example, as you remember, there was no necessity of dying. Their bodies remained capable of dying. They weren't resurrected bodies, but there was no necessity. God protected them from illness, disease, all these things. That's the meaning of the garden, where man is at peace with nature. In the passions, there was no egotistical passion. All the passions lined up, and there are 11 of them, according to Aristotle, in perfect harmony, and they were all fulfilled according to what man was presented with. That's the meaning in John Paul II makes a great deal of it, and the first sexual experience uh, of the fact that they're naked and not ashamed. Their body is a vehicle of communion of hearts, and they don't experience the possibility that someone can abuse them and by taking the gift of self from them for egotistical purposes. And so there's no need to cover the body, which is made by God and very beautiful, because there's no temptation in that sense or anything. The will has perfect loving, and I always emphasize the word loving, obedience. It's not just submission to God's will. But since Adam and Eve enjoyed this perfect friendship with him, they understood what God's life was like, and they wanted to do his will. They wanted to be obedient. Obedience for them was easy. Virtue for them was easy. And then, of course, in their intellect, they received this special gift of infused knowledge, where Adam, for example, has all the animals brought to him, and he names them on one experience so that they can understand the divine providence and things like that. Now, since this was all a fruit of God's love, it was a gift given by him. And, of course, grace and gift are very connected to each other. Uh, the word grace, we use it gracias and gratia and things like that. It means thanksgiving for a love or a gift received. They looked upon creation and their relation with God as a gift. But that meant, and they had a boundary in this, that they had to recognize him as the giver and the creator. And that's the meaning of the commandment. There's a boundary put on them. Of all the fruit of the trees of the garden you may eat, but not of the fruit of this tree. It's just a boundary to show that they receive this as a gift of love. Satan, of course, tempts them with the idea that they can do this by their own power, which they can't. <laughs> and yeah. they're, not, they're not stupid. They, they know that. But he tempts them with the idea that they don't have to obey the commandment because that's put on them, it's like an, uh, an unjust interference with their freedom. And so he tempts them to make a decision, which when you consider the fact that they were almost in a state of infused contemplation of love, was an extremely unloving, ungrateful act without consulting the Creator. Because mm. we depend on grace for our perseverance in grace. Um, all day long, the fathers of the desert used to say this prayer that's very connected to perseverance in grace, which we use in the Western Church every day in the office, oh God, come to my assistance, Lord, make haste to help me. Well, they didn't ask for help. <laughs> when you consider they how much they depended on the infinite to be in union with the infinite, this was incredible. And so they lost grace, and they lost infused knowledge, darkness entered. They lost Loving obedience, malice entered. They liked torturing other people for egotistical things. The body became subject to death, and of course the passions became subject to concupiscence. 
which though they retain their natural destiny of being obedient to reason, we all know it's very hard for us to control our passions now and direct them in a human way. Man was wounded then, but because he had a natural tendency to good still, all those powers remain in their natural tendencies. They just couldn't get their act together. He's not totally depraved. The way uh, Bishop Sheen used to put it is that grace always has a beachhead because it's our natural tendency to go toward integrity, unity, truth, love, and God. Nature is wounded, but not totally destroyed. The Protestant idea would be that nature is so shipwrecked that it can't be overcome. And the issue turns around this issue of concupiscence. The Protestants looked upon this as sin itself. The Catholics look upon this as a tendency to sin, but which could be healed and dealt with over a period of time. So for the Protestants, and of course it's very difficult always to make total generalization of this, and they don't all think the same way or explain it that way. But I mean, God's grace was just covering over or overlooking their depravity. Uh, for the Catholics, in other words, it was just a psychological change. For the Catholics, it was a true change in being when in baptism we received back this union with the Holy Trinity. So the famous line from, Luke, from Augustine that both used, was that man was at one and the same time just and a sinner. The Protestant interpretation of that is that he's considered just, but he's really a sinner. The Catholic interpretation of this is he's really just, but he has a tendency to sin, which he has to address by the fact that grace now isn't doesn't just elevate us to heaven. Adam and Eve needed it for that, but it also has to heal us from the wound in our nature, and that's, of course, a lifelong process. So it really is a kind of totally different way of looking at the world. You know, Catholics would have a great deal of difficulty with things like what they used to do in British boarding schools, which was cane children to blood, <laughs> devils in them and has to be beaten out of them. Yep. That's, that's not our way of education. No. It shouldn't be anyway. Father Brian, we're going to have to actually wrap it up there, but I wonder if you would be kind enough to return next week and pick up our conversation, because I, I really want to follow up on, on where we are right here. Uh, let's see, next week? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, awesome. I'll, I'll be back in Portland next week. It'll be easier. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, uh, until we gather again next week, uh, we, of course, invite you to listen to all of our previous shows. Go to moderndayradio.com. You can also go to livingstonesmedia.org. You can find us on Facebook, Living Stones, on Modern Day Radio, and on Twitter, at Catholic Stones. But uh, until we gather next week, Father Brian, might we uh, have a blessing? May the peace and blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.